You are listening to Moments of Clarity, Journeys with EQ by Six Seconds Europe. Six Seconds is a global nonprofit dedicated to growing emotional intelligence worldwide. Our work involves supporting individuals, teams, and organizations to develop and practice emotional intelligence to help increase personal and organizational effectiveness. Hello, my name is Fergal O'Keefe and you're very welcome to the podcast. Every Wednesday, I ask our guests for three moments from their life, big or small, that led to a change, a new path or a light bulb moment of clarity. Our guest today is Enda O'Doherty from Ireland. He's a motivational speaker and the author of the book, I'm Fine. His moments of clarity cover family, triathlons, Kilimanjaro, back-to-back marathons with a washing machine on his back, alcoholism and mental health, and much more. Enda is truly an inspirational character who gives you energy, as you will hear now. Enda Doherty, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Virgil. Thanks for having me on. You might just let people know a little bit about yourself first before we go into your moments of clarity. Yeah, it's funny doing your own introduction. Normally, as a motivational speaker, people do, you know, a big um, introduction and then you they say, please welcome on stage, motivational speaker, inspirational yeah. person, Endo Doherty. And I, I like when they keep it short, Fergal, because then they have zero expectation. But when it's very long, they're almost expecting, you know, this godlike being to appear, yeah. but I'm just human. But yeah, my name is Endo Doherty. Um, I spent 30 years in education and in recent times, um, I have transitioned to being a motivational speaker. Um, I'm also an author and my book came out there at Christmas called I'm Fine. And uh, we were just chatting off air there. And please, God, next week, if I have the, the courage, I will also be a podcaster. But I suppose what I do for a living is um, I use words to inspire people, to lift people from the norm. And can you give us the name of your podcast? Because it sounds really good. I can't wait for it. There you go. There's the amateur. I never even mentioned the podcast name. <laughs> yeah. So the podcast is called The Mighty Mini Podcast. And uh, if you go into Spotify or wherever you listen to your your podcasts, if you simply Google my name, Endo Doherty, you'll find it. You can't miss it. As somebody said, looking at my picture, they said Pep Guardiola has really gone downhill recently. (laughs) Excellent. I'll have to put up a picture on Instagram for people to see that. Absolutely. They'll be able to see the similarities. Maybe I should claim to be uh, Pep's dad. That would be, uh, (laughs) I think it's almost plausible between the tan, the beard and the the baldy head. Definitely. I'm intrigued now what you're going to pick for your moments of clarity, because I know you've got so many great stories. So for your first one. My first moment of clarity involves a visa card and my wife, which, um, yeah, there's the hook. So hopefully people have sat up and said, God, they had an argument over shopping. No, it's nothing like that. So um, for a long time in my life, I was an alcoholic. I I am an alcoholic and I didn't value my health, didn't value my happiness and um, was drinking about four bottles of whiskey a week. Maybe my Friday night drink was a pint glass of vodka with a bottle of cough syrup. And when I got sober, I also got very healthy and, uh, you know, I had an appreciation of my health. But um, from in the back of my mind, Fergal, for years, I had this dream about doing an Ironman. So for people who don't understand an Ironman, It's about 200 lengths of your local swimming pool, followed by a cycle, a bike ride, probably the equivalent of Cork Airport to Dublin Airport, followed immediately by a marathon, which is 44 kilometers. It's an incredibly difficult event to do. But um, I had watched every documentary, read every book, read every article. I constantly fantasized, could I 
could I do it? I was fearful. I was anxious. I had moments where I was about to do it, moments when I backed away. I was living my life in a cloud of fear, in a cloud of, I suppose, doubt. And my wife was correcting the Leaving Cert exam papers for geography this particular year. And I was bringing her in cups of coffee because of my guilt, because she was working and I was on holidays. And I remember one day she called me and she said, Enda, can you get me something? And I said, yeah. And I thought she was going to say, you know, a glass of water or a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. And she said, will you get my wallet? And I got her wallet and she took out the visa card and she handed me the visa card and she said, enter that race. Stop living your life in fear. Now, the cost entry is 500 euro plus your flight's accommodation for your family and to travel, plus a year's physio. Uh, it takes, for me, about 16 hours training a week for nine months. It's a huge, massive undertaking. It's no wonder I was fearful. But in that one moment of clarity, she handed me the card and she said, enter. So I went to the laptop on the spot, put in the number, came back to her with a look of terror on my face. She said, what have you done? I said, I've entered the race. I said, what will I do now? She said, we better go out to the shed and find that bike. And Ironman's motto is anything is possible. And um, as you know, from my life story, and I'm sure if people have read my book, they'll know I'm, you know, it, it led me to incredible things. Ironman's motto, anything is possible. And it really unleashed in me that potential. So my, my first moment of clarity is taking that card from her hand and making that leap of faith, jumping forward. And it literally changed my life 10 years ago. So where, where was that Ironman? So the first one was Ironman UK, which was a surreal experience. I was standing in a collapsed coal mine outside Bolton at four o'clock in the morning, listening to God Save the Queen being sung, thinking, what have I done to myself? You know, um, this chap was behind me and he pushed gently, you know, in the crowd. There was 2000 people at the start of the swim. I pushed back. He pushed back. I, pu I was about to turn around and tell this guy, listen, I grew up in Wicklow. You do not want to push me. And when I turned around, there was a guy standing behind me and on his shoulders was his friend who had no legs. Oh he had lost both of his legs in an IED in Afghanistan. And here he was, Fergal, in the same race, taking on the same distance as I was. And I'll tell you the truth. A few minutes before, I was like, oh, my God, my calf is a bit tight. You know, Jesus, I'm not sure if, you know, my, my middle-aged body is able for this. And I turned around with my sore leg, and here was this guy with no legs, you know. And, and that guy, I only passed him once on the marathon. And that's because he sat on a wall to bandage the stumps on his legs because his legs were bleeding. So the stumps were bleeding so badly. He dutifully bandaged up his legs, put the artificial legs back on and ran past me. Wow. You know, what an inspirational guy to be around and to see in action, you know. But um, yeah, that 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 single moment of taking an action. And I say to people the whole time, you know, I, I'm very lucky to work with with all sorts of corporates. Like in the last few weeks, I would have worked with TripAdvisor in London before lockdown. I've worked with AIB with their risk management. You know, I had a Zoom call the other day for 3000 people. Um, I work with the Kerry Group. I am absolutely delighted to say that I got the opportunity to work for and inspire Leinster Rugby this year. Not that they need any help, but, um, you know, one of the key messages I give to people is take action. You know, if things work out, brilliant. You've got momentum. You're moving forward. If things don't work out, just make a list of what needs to be changed and fix it. But the worst thing you could do is sit on the couch wrapped in cling film, which are, as I call it, fear. Yeah petrified to make a decision petrified to, to take a risk you know and um it, it's 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 really strange actually i've just realized telling you this where it happened is about two feet from where i'm sitting right now <laughs> at the same table <laughs> so could you tell us your second moment of clarity then 
Yeah, the second second moment of clarity is, is you know, it's it's an integral what happened next, I suppose. So what happened next was I attempted to do nine marathons in eight days. I carried a washing machine on my back from Belfast to Waterford, which is 30 miles every day. Um, again, to get ready for that was a year's sacrifice. Um, the reason I was carrying a washing machine was a very simple but very powerful mental health message. And the message was, you know, don't carry a heavy load around that could cost you your life. Like in Ireland this week, regardless of COVID-19, eight to 10 people will take their lives and die by suicide. And many of those people have lost their lives because they were carrying a problem or a hidden load that nobody knew about. They didn't feel comfortable or confident. They didn't feel they could talk about the issue. And that load became so heavy that life became unbearable for them. And I know what dark times feel like. I know what it is to be suicide, to be depressed and to be affected by anxiety disorder. And when I got sober, like I say, I got super fit, but I also became conscious of my mission and my purpose here, you know, to make a difference in Ireland. And um, I think, you know, I was saying to, to I, was, I, was, I was talking to Michael Healy Ray this morning on the podcast and we we're talking about humanity. And I said to him, you know, for me, you know, what makes us human is our ability to help others, affect others, to change others. That's where our humanity lies. And, and we have a responsibility to do it. So um, following Iron Man, I was having coffee with my wife, uh, as you do in Costa. And uh, she said, are you going to do another Iron Man? I said, no. I said, they're too expensive. And it's, you know, I have enough because I had done two at that stage. And she said, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to walk from Belfast to Waterford to raise funds for a mental health charity. And Irish women are amazing. You have one. You're married to one Fergal, fine lady. I hope she's listening to this. Um, I love my wife dearly. My daughter, my sisters, they're Irish women are fantastic because my wife's answer was, is that all you're going to do? <laughs> so an Irish man, we have an equal sense of humor. So when she said, is that all you're going to do? I said, well, in that case, I'll carry a washing machine in my back. And she said, go on, I dare you. And I said, I will. And nine months later, I walked out of the Europa Hotel with a washing machine strapped to my back and off we went. We'll eventually get to the moment. So I suppose it was nine marathons in eight days on that journey. I lost all of my fat pads. Uh, my toenails came out. I had what can only be described as Chernobyl diarrhea, uh, glowed in the dark, horrendous. Um, I broke both of my feet. I had um, leaky gut. I was trying to eat 7,000, 8,000 calories a day, and they were going straight through my intestines into my bloodstream. I was very, very ill. And eventually, like I say, I fractured both feet. But the decision I had at the start was take one step. And the decision I had at the worst times was just take one step. You know, it, there, were, there was no difference. So nine marathons later, I find myself at my moment, of, second moment of clarity was walking over the bridge into Waterford City, where hundreds of people stopped the traffic to welcome me back to my own hometown at this fundraiser. If you can imagine this, the Coast Guard were flying uh, a guard of honour overhead. The fire brigade and the police had stopped the traffic. And what was a silly idea and a joke had grown into, you know, an amazing fundraiser. Um, you couldn't write the script for this, Fergal. The, the band that were welcomed us back on the plaza in Waterford, they were playing I Would Walk 500 Miles by the Proclaimers. Like, <laughs> you couldn't, like, if you put that into a movie, people say, nah, it's too corny. Cut it out, cut it out. But um, I'd never, ever drive in Waterford without driving past that spot and remembering that moment, that that feeling, you know, of elation, of survival, of, you know, magic, I suppose. But that's not the moment of clarity. So the moment of clarity happened at the end. We're walking to the Tower Hotel in Watford and we're having, uh, I suppose, a celebration of having survived the walk. And this lady came over to me and she said, 
do you mind if I get a selfie with the washing machine? And I said, of course, you're more than welcome. And I picked this small lady up. I put her sitting on the washing machine and my, handed my wife the camera and we took a photograph. And it's a regular thing. People like the, the washing machine, like even looking at your face here online, it brings happiness to people. They're like, what the hell is that? Why is he doing it? It's a great conversation opener about mental health, you know. But um, this lady, anyway, I took her photograph and she said, have you got a moment to talk? And I said, of course, I always have time to talk. And she said, you know, on that walk when you were going through hell and she was following it on social media, she said, um, on the Monday or the first or second night of your walk, she said, I wrote a letter to my husband saying goodbye. And I decided that I had no option in my life but to take my own life. She said, I took every bit of medication I could get in the house. I got it together and I wrote a letter saying goodbye to my children. And um, she said something clicked in my mind. And I said, as long as you were going through hell and you were raising funds and raising awareness for someone you'd never met like me, maybe I should keep going. Maybe I should hold on. And she said, the next morning, I told my husband for the first time how I felt. Um, very quickly, I began counseling, went to the doctor, got some medication. And here she was nine days later in front of me. And she said her, her words, very good. I, to be honest, she said, I didn't come for a photo. She said, I came to thank you for saving my life. And like I, I often speak about that in, in, you know, when I'm speaking to businesses and teams and trying to inspire people and people say, why would you put your body through hell? And, and what I say to them is this, that like I've never been struck by lightning. Um, thank God. Not yet. But I'm absolutely certain I know what it feels like, because that moment when someone thanks you for doing something that profound, it, it's, it's transformative. And um, I suppose for me, I realized I had so much more to do, so much more to give. And, and that for me was, I suppose, nicely linked to the to the credit card. But that moment, um, you know, changed my life. I, I don't I know we're recording the audio here, but I think if anyone is watching this, you probably would have noticed both eyes fill up and it, it wouldn't take very much for me to uh, to get upset thinking about it because it's what is it, five, six years ago now? And it's it's still very, very fresh. I mean, you know, but I, I'm very privileged to hear those words and very privileged to have that experience. And um, did, am I right in thinking, did you go to Kilimanjaro? Because, <laughs> sorry now. To, yeah, um, as my wife calls it, midlife crisis part three. So me and my washing machine and 130 of the finest people you'd ever met went to Africa to raise more funds for mental health charities. And I climbed uh, Kilimanjaro. Um, you know, on day one, I was I had altitude sickness. I wouldn't recommend it, but I vomited all over my wife. Um, wasn't great. I was very, very ill, very, very quickly. Um, altitude just didn't suit me. I was as fit, as strong as I could ever be, but I, I knew very early on I was in trouble. Um, you know, one of the Africans walked past Fergal one stage and he went, Akuna Matata. And I was about to tell him where he could stick his line. To. <laughs> um, thankfully, I didn't. Do you know what Akuna Matata means? Huh? A lot of people have watched, anyone with kids will have seen The Lion King, but most people don't realize all the characters, all of the language in the show is written in Swahili. And the language of Tanzania was Swahili. And what the Tanzanians had said to me was, Akuna Matata was, don't worry, everything will be okay. Wow. You'll be fine. You know, so simple. They're beautiful people. Yeah. And traveling to that country, you know, was the most amazing experience for us. But um, I got sicker and sicker so much so that on summit night, and if anyone wants to see the videos or see the photographs of this, if you go to the mental health challenge on Facebook, you'll be able to see the videos and photos I'm speaking about. But um, on summit night, you know, it, it became apparent to me, my medical team, that if I kept pushing two hours from the top, I was going to do, it was going to be in real trouble. And I had to make a decision to turn around and go back. And 
you know, it was a year's training. I wanted to get that photograph myself in the washing machine on the summit of Kilimanjaro. But like to put in perspective for people, we were three days walk above the clouds. I can, if you look out the window there and you can see clouds from where you're sitting, I was still proud that I got three days above it with a washing machine. But if I kept pushing for those couple of hours, it was going to be bad news for me. And, and then tragically on the night, you know, that we were on the mountain, there was a young lady from Cork, um, 32, a crossfitter as fit, as strong a woman as you'd ever meet. And she lost her life on the mountain that night. And I suppose afterwards, it really brought back to me, you know, how dangerous what I was doing was. Um, but our logo, our motto was share the load, uh, ask for help. And I asked for help. And uh, it was the Tanzanians and it was the Irish people with me that brought that washing machine to the top. So much as it killed me, it made more money and it, and it made, brought life to the slogan. But um, I suppose the moment for me, you know, you asked for the third moment. And, and I, I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone publicly about this. I think it's in the book. I can't remember. <laughs> but um, we were coming back down the mountain. And, you know, I know it with if anyone's a history student, you'll know Patrick Pierce's the um the triumph of failure you know that you can win even when you lose so people said to me god you seem in great form and i said yeah i said because i i'm alive I, my life is valuable i couldn't run a charity or charity events to, you know to talk about people about how precious life was and then disregard my own value of my own life and we got back to i suppose one of the lower camps on the mountain and the tanzanians joyous people they had some tricolors you know there's a jungle in the background Mount Kilimanjaro with its glacier on top is behind us. And they're dancing and celebrating because we've come to the end of the climb, you know, and um, I'm dancing with them. I'm jumping higher. I'm covered in dirt. I'm covered in dust. I'm bleeding from the ears and nose because of the gravel. I'm celebrating that I had this idea and that I managed to make this money. And, and you know, the people who came with me are like family for life, you know. But um, the moment of clarity was that I went to Fergal to give my wife a kiss and she instantly gave me the straight arm because I was covered in sweat and gravel and dirt and snot and blood and everything else. And much she loves me, she wasn't hugging me, but um, she wouldn't kiss me, but she gave me a hug. And, and, and the moment that I chose, and it was very hard, there's so many moments I could pick, but the moment I chose was my wife whispered into my ear and she said, we have three children, three beautiful children. And my wife said to me, on a mountain in Africa, in the jungle, in the middle of this, she just simply said, if our kids have 1% of your spirit, they'll be so lucky. That's beautiful. It's probably a <laughs> reason I don't tell people about that very much I because... Uh, That's beautiful words. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I speak for a living and I probably talk too much, I sing too much, I laugh too much, I talk too much, mm. I eat too much, everything is too much in my world. But somebody said to me that day, like I was completely silent for pretty much the whole day. Really? And it's because it was the power of that one sentence um, and the clarity of that one moment, you know, that uh, that really got me, you know. <laughs> you could probably hear my voice, it got me again. <laughs> and you know what, I, um, I, I, went, I went to Kilimanjaro with Emer for our honeymoon and what made me actually bring it up was when you said one step, because um, I'm sure you noticed when you were there, the guys, when I was there, they kept saying poly poly, yeah. which is slowly, nice slowly. slowly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I still I still say it with the kids, but it's a lovely idea. And and I use it all the time when I'm walking with the kids. And yeah. um, 
and you know it, it's also like you when you did both of those times like the even before you went there the idea of one step if you if you apply that to everything you know yeah like persistent consistent effort in life you know like sometimes people are ask me the funniest questions are you money laundering when they see the washing machine are you out for a long spin or a short spin <laughs> are you you know i get all those kind of stuff but the simple truth is one of the practical things that allowed me to get that strong and get that big was um, every time I went to the toilet, I did 10 push-ups. Every time I washed my hands, I did 10 push-ups. Now, 10 push-ups will never transform anyone's life. But that year, I did 32,000 push-ups. Um, and I looked like a Photoshop. So the top half here clearly looks 53. But when I was in the shower, I took my shirt off. The bottom half looked like I was 23 and should be on a magazine. I was absolutely ginormous. Like I was rubbing, washing myself, and I was finding lumps that I never knew I even had. <laughs> But it was the idea was persistent, consistent effort, you know, and, I, and I'm very keen to tell people that, you know, my natural personality allowed me to imagine and pursue crazy things. But, you know, if you're listening to this, your Kilimanjaro can be holding on to your job. Your Kilimanjaro can be starting a business. You know, your Ironman could be doing 5K. Your Ironman could be, you know, losing a half a kilo or losing a kilo in the next month. People need to, you're right, step by step, poly poly. You need to be kind to yourselves, you know, but we also need to challenge ourselves and change ourselves for the better. You know, I, I've enjoyed chatting to you and I, and I want the podcast to be a pos positive, but like the average person listening to this, including you and I, lives 28,000 days, days, 28,000 days. That's all you get. So if you waste one of those days sitting on the couch, eating pizza, you know, and watching six hours of Netflix and think you're living, you're not, you're surviving and you can't get that day back. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with a day like that. But we're here, you know, cliched as it is, we're here for a short time. I think because I went so close to losing my, permanently losing my happiness and losing my life, the corollary of that is that I'm intent on squeezing every second out of every day, you know, um, and, and I'm obsessive about it because, um, like you say, today is a once only event. It's um, what am I looking at? It's, you know, I'm, I'm up now five hours and it's still only 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, and I have 20 things I want to do today. You know, um, we do need to slow down sometimes. You know, we went away for the weekend. Myself, and my wife went away last weekend and we went up to, oh God, beautiful, a free ad for them. We went up and stayed in the, in the K Club in Kildare. Yeah. One of my favorite places, just love it. But when I was on the motorway and I was driving quite fast and my wife said, slow down. And I drove fast again. Then she said, slow down. And I said, what are you doing? And then I realized what I was doing. I was I was in a hurry to relax. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Which is the most stupid thing you could ever think or do. But that's what I was doing. I was racing to get there so I could relax faster, which yeah. is just not the way to live, you know. But, um, yeah, you know, I had... Um, you know, I, I had real trouble picking out three. I hope you enjoyed the three I picked out. Uh, the the, the runner-up, the fourth place one was, uh, I suppose, a, a, an amalgamation of all of those was um, when, you know, I had lived those eight, seven years of those adventures, put it down on paper, got a publishing deal, fell through, got a publishing deal, didn't like the publisher, got a third publishing deal. Um, to be sitting in the sitting room and the phone, you know, the front door went and I went, oh, bloody what's this? Some fella now trying to get me to join a religion or some fella trying to get me to switch me gas. You know, all those people that knock on your door and God love them. It's a hard job and I want to be polite. And I was sort of grumpy, went to the front door and here was a um, delivery guy. I need a box. 
and I opened the box and in the box in my hand was my book like oh my god what a feeling like I mean I you know the kids being born is an incredible if you're a dad but Jesus, I, I couldn't describe to you the f- sense of joy and achievement when I actually held it in my hand. And um, and I think, too, the conviction that everything that's in it and what I've done is what I wanted to do, not what printers or publishers or publicists said to do. I lived my way right down to the photo. Um, so someone said to me, it's a great photo for radio or podcast. But uh, the title of the book is I'm Fine uh, and it's in gold letters on the book. It's beautifully embossed. But the photograph underneath is me screaming because for long periods of my time, my life, um, I was the guy in work, suited, booted, you know, super professional, on time, beautiful wife, lovely car, lovely house, successful kids. He, I had everything according to the outside world, but I didn't have happiness. And the photograph of me screaming was the reality of what I was living with. And um, I suppose a core message to the book is, you know, ask people if they really are fine and ask them multiple times in multiple settings, because you you literally could save somebody's life, you know, but um, the book isn't about, you know, if anyone's thinking of buying the book or reading the book, you can get it on endo.rt.ie, but um, it's a book of happiness. It's a book of joy. It's a book of silliness. It's a book of challenging thoughts and ideas. It's, you know, it goes from, you know, dealing with my mother passing away to breast cancer, from alcoholism to Africa to washing machines. It's, uh, do you know, do you know, um, Fergal, I know you, you, you're, you, you write and your podcast is about travel. You know, when you go on holidays, you know, when you're in the hotel room on the last day and Irish people do this, you have everything you, that doesn't fit you or is torn or worn out. For some reason, we feck it in the wardrobe or the bin in like there's some fella in Spain who has about five and a half thousands on needle tops, I'd say, right? <laughs> and, and flip flops from pennies. But everyone does it. But somebody said, what kind of book do you want it to be? And I said, I want it to be the book that, you know, normally you throw all the the, the books, the holiday books, because they're covered in sun cream and the pages are falling out. You throw them in the bin. I want this to be a book that if you bought it and you brought it on holidays, that you would put it back in the suitcase and you would say, you know what, I'm going to read that again next year. Or I'm going to give that to someone I love or I'm going to give that to someone who needs need a bit of encouragement at the moment. And I want it to be that book. And um, thank God the response to it has been fantastic. You know, people people have loved it because it's different. It's really different. And I think if you ask me to sum it up in one word, it's it's honest. You know, it's raw and it's honest, but um, it seems to have resonated with people. I think I think the reason it resonated was that everybody struggles. You know, no, nobody's perfect. Everyone has tough times. Um, there was a friend of mine slagging me. He said, you're the luckiest man on the planet. And I said, Why the flip, uh, which bit is lucky? You know, he said, only you bring out a book about happiness, mental health and resilience. And the entire country gets locked down. And all people, <laughs> all people can do is sit at home and feel miserable. He said, Jesus, you're so lucky. I said, well, I, I did. I have no contacts in Wuhan. I did not <laughs> plan any of this. It was just pure accidents, you know, but good you know, karma, maybe good karma. For but do you know, what's funny uh, while you were just talking there, I was going, I think your book is going to be even more relevant now, because even if you think the two of us, the last two days, we were trying to organize the time and I was yeah. like, oh, kids are going training school runs and la 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 and uh, you know i think that um i personally anyway that we're, now we're going back to like normal life the madness and, yeah exactly yeah. and as you and so you know you described a life about just you know a lot of people on a, on a hamster wheel you know yeah and uh, i think people are now more aware of what that hamster wheel was so i think yeah and I, I you know i think we, we need to learn lessons going forward like 
like I, I feel embarrassed even saying it, but there was lots of COVID. I absolutely loved bring it back. God almighty lunch, my family every day, breakfast together. Every day was like Christmas day. Like I have a 25 year old, a 22 year old and a 16 year old. And our house was like a train station crossed with a stand up comedy club. <laughs> Usually it was slag dad and abused dad, but it was magic, you know, yeah. Um. I did the month before lockdown, 80 hours driving to speak at events. And I was, my car had a permanent smell of coffee and Red Bull. That's no way to live. Like for one-on-ones, for mentoring of people, um, and for a lot of of, of um, conferences, I will continue to do Zoom because, you know, I, I think if it's, like if your equipment is good enough, if your lighting, your sound is good enough, um, you know, if the person can get into that camera you know, if you can really project your energy and it, it can be every bit as powerful. I, I love audiences. I love theaters. I love conferences. God, I can't wait to go back to it. But I think for me, it's a hybrid. I'm going to learn going forward in that. Take the best of it and move forward, you know, uh, and take the worst of it. And, you know, it's funny, actually, you should say we had the book pretty much finished at the start of lockdown one. And I rang the printer and I said, stop, stop. And they went, no, no, it doesn't work like that. The wheels are turning. And I said, no, we have to stop. And they said, why? And I said, I want to write about my first two months of COVID-19. I want it in the book. They said, what do you mean? And I said, well, my wife went mad gardening. You know, like our, our lawn, Fergal's currently looks like a snooker table because it's had that much products applied to it. There isn't a weed, a flower, you know, the garden. It's like the week we moved into the house, you know, and um, we got a new garden shed and we were moving the shed. And when we moved the shed, you know, she found a bottle of vodka, a bottle of wine, and then she found another one. She just put it down to rubbish, you know, in the garden. And I stopped her and I said, look, I need to tell you something. And she said, what's that? They're mine. You know, when in, in the dark days, when I was sent to the shed for a bottle of Chianti, I would open a bottle, drink an entire bottle in one shot, 30 seconds, bang, open a second bottle of Chianti, then bring it in, pour her a small, uh, uh, her a large glass and me a small glass. Because at the core of alcoholism, at the core of addiction is dishonesty. She'd say, will you have a second glass of wine? I said, no, you know, I'll be careful tonight. You know, but I had had a full bottle in less than 30 seconds in the, in the shed. And I suppose, too, at the start of lockdown, I began to experience sleep disorder. I began to experience anxiety. I began to experience depression. Now, the difference between me and, and someone who hasn't experienced it before is I knew what was happening. I knew how to control that chemistry. I knew how to act. I knew how to fix it. And that's why I went back to the publisher and I said, look, I want to write how I felt like this and how I got out of it. And they were like, oh, God, you know, I'd say I'm the nightmare writer that they've had. But I'm so glad that we went back and did a chapter on COVID-19 because I'd say there's very few books out at the moment that actually have, you know, that that content. Actually, a friend of mine gave me a great book two years ago, and I'm still reading it. Um, so he gave me Marcus Aurelius Reflections of a Roman General. It sounds horrendous, right? Yeah. But each day is dated and you read one quote from this wonderful uh, Roman general. And then the author of the book puts it, paraphrases into modern day language. But that's what I wanted. I'm fine to be like, I wanted the book to be something that you could dip in, dip out of, dip in, dip out of and and not have to have, um, you know, the whole part, purpose of literature is, you know, it's to inspire people, it's to lift people. So if it's, if it's a slog or if it's hard to get through, you know, it's an academic exercise. It's it's not it's not real literature for me, you know, no, I know. I'm, I'm just I hope you don't mind. I have one more question to ask. Sure. You. And it's um, if you close your eyes and take this is Emer's question, actually, if yeah. you close your eyes and take four deep breaths, where is your happy place? And why? 
I think my happy place is anywhere with sunshine. Um, you can probably see from the screen, I only have to stick my head outside the front door and I tan instantly. I thought that might uh, be a filter. You're no, crazy. no, I, I'm blessed with those genes. Uh, so I, O'Doherty, the story is the O'Doherty's um, are called, I think originally the, 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 there was a, a label put the, the Black Irish in that when the Spanish Armada was shipwrecked off the Irish coast and they were blown up around Inishon, Donegal, where all the O'Doherty's come from. I, I'm told in the family, the rumor is that some of them weren't quite as wrecked as we thought they were. <laughs> and so hence, um, we, we have a fairly, all of my cousins and, and uh, my brother and sister, we all have a fairly uh, Spanish look to us and we tan very easily. Yeah. But um, when I, my, my happy place is anywhere with water and sunshine. Um, and it can be anywhere. Like I, I have a particular playlist for Spotify on my phone that the last time we were in the Canaries and we had this beautiful room and the room had a pool at the end of the room. And I just sat at the end of the room with a beautiful crystal glass, lovely ice, some tonic in it. Obviously, I'm not drinking the gin, <laughs> but to close your eyes and feel the cold water on your feet, the cool breeze and that warmth of the sunshine. And, and for anyone who loves holidays, you know, when you inhale and you can smell heat, it sounds a strange thing to say, but um uh, there's a guy called Howard. I listen to music, but it's sort of very chilled, sort of um, pop jazz vibe. But to listen to that music with my eyes closed, my water, feet in the water, um, and it could be anywhere, Fergus, because I have, I know, like I say, I know your podcasts about travel, your other podcasts, and you write about travel. I am the ultimate travel junkie. I love my holidays. I simply limp from one holiday to the next. The morning I come back from a holiday, I go down to the travel agents with a fiver and put a deposit on something. And they're laughing at me because they know a fiver is not booking anything. But in my head, it's booked something. Yeah. And, I, and I love to go on a holiday and experience culture and people. And I love to come back from a holiday I don't know, maybe I'm doing it backwards, but retrospectively, I love to come back and then read everything about the place I've been yeah. and go, oh, that's why they say that or that's why that is there. You know, we, we were in Malta uh, just before lockdown two years ago and underneath one of the old um, buildings in Malta, there was one of the the Templar, Knights Templar had this hospital and amazing hospital, huge. And I said, so why was it so big? And they said, for infection, you need air to circulate through the building. So this kept infection rates from the plague lower. And they said each it was very unusual because each person had their own sink and toilet. And there was at least three meters between each bed so that you didn't cross infect the person beside you. It was built in 1450. Wow. And I didn't know what was coming down. <laughs> so I was like, social distancing and wash your hands, you know. know. And oh, the history is amazing. Yeah. I, I tell you a lovely Templar story where we were, I was doing retail therapy with my wife, which is part of all holidays. You have to do it. So we're walking in the street and I'm roasting and I, I sweat very easily and the sweat is dripping off me. And then we went to another set of shops and I wasn't sweating as badly. And then I noticed this had happened one or two times. And then when we came home, I was reading about um, Valletta and the street structure was designed to catch the, the wind system in the Mediterranean. And the reason I wasn't sweating on one particular street was because that was the street where the Templars had the fruit and meat and veg. So that chilled breeze was in with the street was designed to catch the breeze. And that's why I wasn't sweating on one street. and I was on the other, you know, amazing. Wow. amazing. Yeah. But I mean, that's part of the journey. I hope you enjoyed that. We're going to have some great varied guests every Wednesday from all walks of life 
So I would ask you to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and it will jump into your phone on Wednesdays. And I would also ask you to leave a review and a star rating if at all possible because it helps other people to find this podcast. I look forward to sharing some great guests with you every week.